Good morning. Today's teaching text is taken from John 1, verses 6 through 8, and then 19 through 22. If you're using one of the Shed Bibles, that's on page 977. If you have one of the large print Bibles, that's on page 1509. So that's John 1, starting with 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And then skipping over to verse uh, 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Melanie, for reading our scripture text for this morning. The Lord be with you. If this is your first time here, my name is Ashley, and I'm still one of our pastors here, and it's the joy of my life to be able to say that a couple more weeks. Um, Before we go any further, I want to acknowledge someone. Uh, I don't think we can see him back in the booth where where John is, but Josh Beal. Is Josh back there? Oh, he's on cam. He's on cam with this red light. Josh is our assistant tech director, everyone, and this is his last Sunday with us at Mars Hill. So can we thank Josh? serving us so faithfully. Um, You will never see Josh because he is doing all the things to make sure Sundays happen both at Granville and Grand Rapids. We are so uh, grateful for his service to our church for this season. Um, Last week, Marcel Grand Rapids, we met and we had a chance to sing some carols with one another. I think we have a photo of the crew, the caroling crew. We brought some joy and festivity to the neighborhoods in our our vicinity. So in that spirit, I thought we might try something this morning and sing a song that we all know. And I I wrote Delwyn in for this one because there are very few opportunities I still get to do this. So Delwyn, will you you lead us in this song that we we all should know? Of course. We did it! Good job, everybody. Y'all sounded pretty good. Thank you, Delwyn. I'm not going to make you do it. You don't have to do it anymore. Thank you. Okay. I told you we'd know it. Why did the composer of Baby Shark... Write this endearingly annoying tune. My guess is that this person wanted to come up with an easy way to help our babies and our toddlers 
start recognizing and identifying the most important people in their lives. The people who have been charged to care for them, to steward their well-being. So Baby Shark has taken over, at least the West to my knowledge, but back in the 80s, before there was Baby Shark, there was another song. And I don't know if it was pervasive enough for a few of us to know it, or if this was something made up just for me when I was little. But I remember my dad singing a very simple song to help me in the same way. And I was going to have Dylan play it, but he's off the hook now, so I'll just try my best. Goes, pretty little baby, she loves dada, she loves dada, she loves dada. Pretty little baby, she loves dada all day long. So this song, oh, thank you. <laughs> this is why I'm not on our, our worship, one of our worship volunteers. But this song, it's stuck. This declaration of love in our house, it helped cement for me who my people were. The people who were to love and to care for me, the people who were safe, the people I could count on. Maybe you had a song like that. Something sung over or to you. And in that way, these songs weren't just about names and language formation. They became about bonding and identity. Because Dada and Mommy were my father and my mother, I was a daughter. Because Meemaw was my grandmother, I was a granddaughter, and so on and so forth. But I say to you this morning, it is easy to know who you are when all is as it should be. When in your purpose you feel secure, when the script is progressing as you have expected it to. It's easy to know who you are when the cast of characters is consistent. It's even easy, I'd imagine, to know who you are when you're defined by your place. Whether we're talking about the slaves who are in Egypt, or we're talking about you sitting in your seat in 2023 today or watching at home online, as a Michigander, choosing to place your roots in the legacy of the soil laid before you, or perhaps for the very first time in this first generation. But as illustrator Scott Erickson said of Mary's carrying baby Jesus, talking about the Advent season of waiting and preparation, there was a moment when the presence of God was felt as the unease of morning sickness. What do we do when unease takes over? When you're no longer here, but not quite there? Who are you when the tides turn suddenly or when the rug is pulled out from under you? Who do you point to? What song is sung then? What do you say about yourself in the waiting? 
This is not just an existential question asked of us today, but yet another question that is pulled straight from the biblical text that Melanie read for us in John chapter 1. What do you say about yourself? But this time, unlike the previous eight questions we've asked in this series, this question isn't asked by God in the garden or Jesus on the road to Emmaus. It's not asked by a psalmist or a well-known Bible character like Mary or Moses or Zechariah. No, this time, this question is asked on behalf of leaders responsible for religious purity and doctrinal orthodoxy of their day. Leaders located in Jerusalem, the place that would become a place of oppression and suffering for Jesus himself. Parenthetically, when I read this question, I thought, we can't include this question in the series. It's asked by Jesus' skeptics, his opponents, because these religious leaders were consistently problematic and in large part didn't understand Jesus' mission. But then I realized, for someone who can get hangry, snarky, or sassy from time to time, can I get an amen? I am so glad we have an example of a question like this. Faithfully curious questions, church, can be asked by anyone. They're not reserved for the usual venerated suspects of Advent like Zechariah and Mary. They don't have to be sourced from some sacred someone in order to confront us and invite us deeper still. And so this question, however and by whomever it is asked, begs our attention because somebody wanted to know. To give it a proper excavation, let's enter the life of John the Baptist for just a few moments. It's tempting to overlook John the Baptist as one whose life intersects this Advent season. For, for some, it'd be like seeing your favorite teacher from grade school at the grocery store randomly. Same person, different context, and therefore almost unrecognizable. But if we take a closer look at our traditional Advent text, he's there all the way in Luke 1. We're told his name as the angel appeared to Zechariah in the temple. And we're not just told his name, but we're told how Zechariah's life and the lives of others will be impacted by him. We're told what the Lord will think of him. And we're told the kind of life he was to live, the purpose he was to fulfill. Then as a child in his mother's womb, we're given a glimpse of his movement in the earth when his mother, Elizabeth, greets her cousin, Mary. And then finally, before we even get to Jesus' birth in Luke 2, we read of John the Baptist's birth, what he would be called, what he'd go on to become, and how he grew strong as he chose to live in the wilderness. John is here all along. Can you imagine the songs sung over him by Elizabeth and by Zechariah? 
Cousin Mary, do 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 do. Cousin Mary, do 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 do. You're a prophet, do 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 do. You're a prophet. All the material, the prophecies, the stories of his coming would be told, proclaimed, repeated over and over and over to him again. I think it's safe to say that John likely was very secure in knowing who he was. It makes sense then that when we fast forward to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, that the Gospel writer, John the Evangelist, tells us that John the Baptist testified concerning the word as a witness. But unlike Mary, who Troy helped us understand as someone who wasn't that spectacular, John not only knew who he was, but he was noticed. His influence was great. Luke 3 tells us that crowds, tax collectors, and soldiers, they all flocked waiting expectantly, wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah, the one who they've heard about because of what he preached that was a fulfillment of Isaiah 40. He was a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. His was a drastic, unusual message, calling for national repentance, for barriers to be removed that would prevent Israel from receiving Jesus as king. I love how author Bette Dickinson put it in her book, Making Room in Advent. She says he exposes the valleys, the people groups who have been pushed down by oppression who need to be raised up. He calls out the mountains of greed, extortion, and the abuse of power that needs to be flattened. And he calls for the straightening of a crooked religious system, crooked tax collectors, and crooked soldiers who mistreat the vulnerable. So though John was noticed, he was causing a stir. The religious leaders were approaching him to ask, who do you think you are? Who are you to preach this message? And here we have it, unease. Who will John the Baptist say he is now? Mars Hill, in this Advent season of waiting and preparation, this question is for us. How do you find yourself standing with John the Baptist on the other side of a confrontational question such as this one? For you are, who are in the season of preparation, for you who are waiting on something, 
for you who are hopeful that something will take root, for something to take place in your life, how will you answer when your identity is questioned? Furthermore, how will we answer as a church in the waiting? For John the Baptist, we see that he answered that question from the religious leaders by making two very different but equally true declarations. And I wonder for those of us who feel our identity is being confronted and questioned right now, if we might receive these declarations as an invitation this morning. John the Baptist's declarations fall under one of two categories for us. I am and I am not. And for as much as he was declared over his life from the very beginning, as sure as he seemed of his purpose and his call, it's interesting to me, as I noticed as I read this text, it's interesting that John did not begin with who he was. John the Baptist first began with responding who he was not. He said, I am not the Messiah, Elijah, or the prophet. For his audience, they would have understood that as Moses. And if you read through the text again, you'll see he grows increasingly impatient. He answers a little bit more long-winded the first time. And then the second time, he's a little bit more terse. And the last time, he just says, no. So John starts with who he isn't. But I'd like for us to all rewind the tape a little bit to our childhoods. For anyone who had a supportive adult in your midst, whether you were playing sports or played an instrument, whatever you chose to do as a child that you were supported in, what did people tell you you could do? Anything, thank you. What else did people tell you you could do? If you just put your mind to it, you can achieve it. If you were like me, as the goalie who had no sense being the goalie on the peewee soccer team, we were really bad. And yet we showed up to Fuddruckers for the seasonal celebration lunch, eating our hot dogs and hamburgers. And do you know I got a trophy? Participation. For not doing a good job. Our record was horrible. None of us deserved trophies. But some of us grew up saying or hearing, believe in yourself. It doesn't matter how good you are or not. Just believe in yourself. But John, something else was happening for him. If you're like me, if you were taught to believe in yourself... Can I tell you, I wish someone, when I was age 9 or 10, would have told me equally as much, if not more, what others should see through me. John 1, 7 was read for us this morning. He came as a witness concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. Imagine if a different preposition stood in that place. Imagine if it was in. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that in him all might believe. John knew 
that it was through his life that people would come to believe in Jesus, not believe in him. In this season of preparation, are you willing to admit who you are, who you are not, and yet what you are still here to do? Maybe it's good news to hear that you're not unbreakable this morning. Maybe it's good news for you to hear that you're not the savior of your family come holiday time. Maybe it's good news for you to hear that you are not the one who has it all together. Perhaps there is some sort of weight released from your shoulders if you could just admit who you are not. What do you say about yourself? Some of us find I am not as a stretch. Because to say I am not is an admission of sorts, of our limits. It could potentially confront others' expectations of what they want us to do. But what if you start with what you're not and see if you aren't freed? Others of us live in I am not. We stay stuck at I am not. And we are dangerously close, if not already, tiptoeing over the line of perpetual inferiority. Never believing that we could do something great, if not ordinary, for the Lord. Consistently underestimating what God might do through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's interesting, John the Baptist, he also goes on to deny being Elijah and the prophet. But in Matthew 11, it says, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Jesus says, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Something similar to this appears again in Matthew 17. Are these two things in contrast? I love that Frederick Bruner notes Some Christians often do not realize who they really are in Jesus' eyes. When is the last time you considered how Jesus sees you, what Jesus says about you, what Jesus has called you to do and to be? What if for you specifically in this season you move from I am not staying stuck there to what John the Baptist moved to next, this declaration of I am. A lot of us wrestle with I am. Because if we were to declare the gifts we were given, the purpose we were set out, we called to do, some of us fear, oh, that's too much. I don't want to become arrogant. I don't want my ego to get in the way. I want to kind of undermine what I'm going, yeah, I could maybe make 500 cookies for the bake sale, knowing you're dang well good at making cookies. A lot of us undermine who we are, but here's the kicker. John the Baptist did not start with a proclamation of himself. He started with scripture. He started with the words of Isaiah. If we start with what God says about us, 
We don't have to worry about making anything up, church. So what does God say about you? Let me remind some of us. You were created very good. You were known by God. He can find where you are. He can come to you. You are inseparable. You are not going to be separated from the love of God. You've been given gifts to use and to steward for the sake of the body of Christ. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is just a start. In this way, are we not all John the Baptist? Aren't we all called to live as those preparing the way, to make crooked ways straight, to raise up valleys and make mountains low? So do not be afraid of declaring who you are, who you truly are. Because who you are, nothing more, nothing less, is part of the preparation. If you stay at I am not, part of the preparatory work for Christ and Christ's kingdom isn't being done. If you only say I am, superiority will take over and crowd out the path intended for Christ alone. In another seemingly contradictory statement, we're told in our text that John the Baptist was not himself the light. And yet Jesus in Matthew 5 told his disciples, you are the light of the world. What gives? I love what Fleming Rutledge offers us in this tension. She says, I'll begin the quote a little bit before what you see here. The Advent spotlight was on John the Baptist, specifically on his preaching. By the grace of God alone, all Christian preachers stand in the line of this strange, unattractive man, she calls him. The spotlight you see is not on the preacher, nor is the spotlight on John. John himself is the spotlight. You don't actually see the spotlight. What you see is the beam of light and the object that is illuminated. John himself disappears. His preaching is the beam, and the light falls upon Jesus only. Mars Hill Bible Church, you are the light of the world. And that light is to fall upon Jesus only. John the Baptist's witness was important, but he wasn't the point. He did the pointing. And so in the season of preparation, as we remember joy in this third week of Advent, as individual you, but also you as Mars Hill, the local body of Christ as Mars Hill Bible Church. Might we, just like John, whose life was proclaimed as to bring joy and delight, might we take up joy in laying down who we are not? Instead of putting on pride or guilt, instead of hiding, might we take up joy 
in proclaiming who we are, pointing to the light of Christ, who is our Savior, instead of putting on arrogance or timidity or fear. Thank you for letting me share my life with you over the past four years here at Mars. And thank you specifically for allowing me to share this most recent season with you. I had Delwyn sing Baby Shark and I wanted to sing that song to you because I wanted to let you in on another moment. Right at the end of my dad's life, when he was home from hospice, he was home for four days. There came a point at which we couldn't communicate with him anymore because he stopped talking. And Dylan and I went into his bedroom the day before he died, and we sat with him. And I didn't know what to say. I knew he could understand me. He was looking at me. And the only thing I knew of at the time to say to my dad was to sing. And I sang, pretty little baby, she loves dada, she loves dada. My dad started to smile. And I tell you that because I felt like in that moment, the roles were reversed. And I was doing for my dad what he had so often done for me. The times that he pointed me toward the people in my midst who would care for, steward, and shepherd my life. It was then time for me to point him to who he was as his came to a close. And church, if I don't know, that's what we're about. I can't think of anything else better. Mars Hill, sing over each other. Sing over each other with who you are. Take a posture of humility in who you are not. Because the beginning of someone's life could happen here. The end of someone's life could happen here. Please keep singing, pointing people to Christ. I won't lie to you, this may come as a as a cost. John the Baptist, he paid a steep price. First by being imprisoned. And then if you know what happened to him, it cost him his very life for choosing to proclaim over and over again who he wasn't and who he was. Who he wasn't, who he was. Who he wasn't, who he was. As you courageously continue to do this, let what you say about yourself prepare the way for the coming of the one who one day will heal every hurt. For one day the one who will make every path straight the one who will bring justice to all the injustices in our midst and in our world. The one who will comfort you in your grief. The one who knows 
but we never could know. Prepare the way, for all will see. All will be healed, all will be reconciled through him and him alone. What do you say about yourself? Whatever you say from this point forward, make way for the Messiah. The Messiah was the one who took all the I am nots and he said, I am. One of those statements he said was, I am the bread of life. Through him all are nourished. Through him all are filled. And so, Marcel, it's my joy to say to you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you pray with me now? In the spirit of thanksgiving, we say how right and a good and joyful thing at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name and your name alone. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So Holy Spirit, we pray that through this meal, we might gain strength to continue to prepare the way for you. God, in our waiting, would you submit the truth of both who we are not? Would you strip us, strip us of any false pretenses, God, of who we are not, but would you also lovingly put on who we are? Would you remind us of who we are in the tension, who we are in the in-between? And may we believe you, Lord, trusting that you are coming for us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So it was on the night he was betrayed. After giving thanks, Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after they had eaten together, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes in the waiting again. And so as we prepare to dine together, Mars Hill, 
we first proclaim these three statements that we repeat every week. It's a way that we tell the story, a way that we give ourselves courage to wait well as we tell the entirety of this narrative and share it with our brothers and sisters across the world. And those phrases go like this. Would you say them with me? Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. All is now ready. You may come if this is your first time. We invite you to come uh, stand here and make a line. We'll have service hosts uh, waiting to serve you uh, in person. Or you can go to any of the tables in the middle of the aisles for allergen-free elements. In addition, we also have slips of paper in the back where you can write prayers and put them in the wall. Our staff would be honored to pray for you. We do so every single week. We also have our brother John who's in the back, and we have another brother here who's uh, waiting and ready. It would be so overjoyed to pray with you and to pray over you and to intercede on your behalf. Now, as you come, know that Christ meets you as we dine together and as you wait. So now receive who you are, the body of Christ. Christ.